Chapter Two of Gentle Julia by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. It was a pretty room, lightly scented with pink geraniums and blue lobelia and coral fuchsias that poised urgent with color in the window boxes at the open windows. Sunshine paused delicately just inside, where forms of pale blue birds and lavender flowers. curled up and down the cretonne curtains, and a tempered, respectful light fell upon a cushioned chaise lounge. For there, fluffily reclined in garments of tender fabric and gentle colors, the prettiest twenty-year-old girl in that credibly supplied town. It must be said that no stranger would have taken Florence at first glance to be her niece, though everybody admitted that Florence's hair was pretty. I'll say that for her. Was the family way of putting it? Florence did not care for her hair itself. It was dark and thick and long, like her aunt Julia's. But Florence, even in the realistic presence of a mirror, preferred to think of herself as an ashen blonde, and also as about a foot taller than she was. Persistence kept this picture habitually in her mind, which, of course, helps to explain her feeling that she was justified in wearing that manner of superciliousness. Deplored by her mother, more middle-aged gentlemen than are suspected believe that they look like the waspen youths in the magazine advertisements of clothes, and this impression of theirs accounts, as with Florence, for much that is seemingly inexplicable in their behavior. Florence's aunt Julia was reading an exquisitely made little book, which bore her initials stamped in gold upon the cover. And it had evidently reached her by a recent delivery of the mail, for wrappings bearing cancelled stamps lay upon the floor beside the chaise lounge. It was a special sort of book, since its interior was not printed, but all laboriously written with pen and ink. Poems, in truth, containing more references to a lady named Julia than have appeared in any other poems since Herrick's. So warmly interested in the reading as to be rather. Pink, though not always with entire approval, this Julia, nevertheless, at the sound of footsteps, closed the book and placed it beneath one of the cushions assisting the chaise lounge, to make her position a comfortable one. Her greeting was not enthusiastic. What do you want, Florence? I was going to ask you if Herbert and me—I mean, was it Noble Dill—gave you Fifi and Mimi, Aunt Julia? Noble Dill, no. I wish it was. Florence said, "I'd like these cats better if they were from Noble Dill." Why, Julia inquired, "Why are you so partial to Mister Noble Dill? I think he's so much the more interesting looking of all that come to see you. Are you sure it wasn't Noble Dill gave you these cats, Aunt Julia?" A look of weariness became plainly visible upon Miss Julia Atwater's charming face. I do wish you'd hurry and grow up, Florence," she said. "I do too. What for, Aunt Julia? So there'd be somebody else in the family of an eligible age. I really think it's an outrageous position to be in," Julia continued with languid vehemence, "to be the only girl between thirteen and forty-one in a large connection of near relatives, including children, who all seem to think they haven't anything to think of. 
but who comes to see her and who came to see her yesterday and who was here the day before and who's coming tomorrow and who's she going to marry you really ought to grow up and help me out because i'm getting tired of it no it wasn't noble dill but mr newland sanders that sent me fifi and mimi and i want you to keep away from em why asked florence because they're very rare cats and you aren't ordinarily a very careful sort of person florence if you don't mind my saying so besides if i let you go near them the next thing herbert would be over here mussing around and he can't go near anything without ruining it it's just in him he can't help it florence looked thoughtful for a brief moment then she asked did newland sanders send em with the names already to them no said julia emphasizing the patience of her tone somewhat i named them after they got here mr sanders hasn't seen them yet he had them shipped to me he's coming this evening any more to-day florence well i was thinking said florence what do you think grandpa'll think about these cats i don't believe there'll be any more outrages julia returned and her dark eyes showed a moment's animation i told him at breakfast that the reign of terror was ended and he and everybody else had to keep away from fifi and mimi is that about all florence you let kitty silver go near em though she says she's fixin to wash em julia smiled faintly i thought she would i had to go so far as to tell her that as long as i'm housekeeper in my father's house she'd do what i say or find some other place she behaved outrageously and pretended to believe the natural color of fifi and mimi is gray i expect said florence after pondering seriously for a little while i expect it would take quite some time to dry them no doubt but i'd rather you didn't assist i'd rather you weren't even around looking on florence a shade fell upon her niece's face at this why aunt julia i couldn't do any harm to fifi and mimi just looking at em could i julia laughed <laughs> that's the trouble you never do just look at anything you're interested in and if you don't mind my saying so you've got rather a record dear now don't you care you can find lots of other pleasant things to do at home or over at herbert's or aunt fanny's you run along now and well florence said moving as if to depart you might as well go out by the front door child julie suggested with a little watchful urgency you come over some day when fifi and mimi have got used to the place and you can look at them all you want to well i just but as florence seemed disposed still to linger her aunt's manner became more severe and she half rose from her reclining position no i really mean it fifi and mimi are royal bred persian cats with a wonderful pedigree and i don't know how much trouble and expense it cost mr sanders to get them for me they're entirely different from ordinary cats they're very fine and queer and if anything happens to them after all the trouble papa's made over other presents i've had i'll go straight to a sanitarium no florence you keep away from the kitchen to-day and i'd like to hear the front door as you go out well said florence i do wish if these cats are as fine as all that it was noble dill that gave em to you 
I'd like these cats a lot better if he gave them to you, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. Well, Florence said again and departed. Twenty is an unsuspicious age, except when it fears that its dignity or grace may be threatened from without, and it might have been a bad sign in revelation of Julia Atwater's character if she had failed to accept the muffled metallic clash of the front door's closing as a token that her niece had taken a complete departure for home. A supplemental confirmation came a moment later, fainter but no less conclusive, the distant slamming of the front gate, and it made a clear picture of an obedient Florence on her homeward way. Peace came upon Julia. She read in her book, while at times she dropped a languid, graceful arm, and with the pretty hand at the slimmer end of it, groped in a dark shelter beneath her couch to make a selection, merely by her well-experienced sense of touch, from a frilled white box that lay in concealment there. Then, bringing forth a crystalline violet, become scented sugar, or a bit of fruit translucent in hardened syrup, she would delicately set it on the way to that attractive dissolution hoped for it by the wistful donor, and all without removing her shadowy eyes from the little volume and its patient struggle for dignified rhymes with julia florence was no longer in her beautiful relative's thoughts florence was idly in the thoughts however of mrs balch the next-door neighbor to the south happening to glance from a bay window she negligently marked how the child walked to the front gate opened it paused for a moment's meditation, then hurled the gate to a vigorous closure, herself remaining within its protection. Odd, Mrs. Balch murmured. Having thus eloquently closed the gate, Florence slowly turned and moved toward the rear of the house, quickening her steps as she went, until at a run she disappeared from the scope of Mrs. Balch's gaze, cut off by the intervening foliage of Mr. Atwater's small orchard. Mrs. Balch, felt no great interest. Nevertheless, she paused at the sound of a boy's voice, half husky, half shrill, in an early stage of change. What'd she say, Florence? Did she say we could? But there came a warning. Hush up, from Florence. And then, in a lowered tone, the boy's voice said, Look here, these are mighty funny acting cats. I think they're kind of crazy or something. Kitty Silver's fixed a wash-tub full of suns for us. Mrs. Balch was reminded of her own cat, and went to give it a little cream. Mrs. Balch was a retired widow, without children, and too timid to like dogs. But after a suitable interval, following the loss of her husband, she accepted from a friend the gift of a white kitten, and named it Violet. It may be said that Mrs. Balch, having few interests in life, and being of a sequestering nature, lived for Violet, and that so much devotion was not good for the latter's health. In his youth, after having shown sufficient spirit to lose an eye during a sporting absence of three nights and days, Violet was not again permitted enough freedom of action to repeat this disloyalty. Though, now, in his advanced middle age, he had been fed to such a state that he seldom cared to move, other than by a slow, sneering wavement of the tail when friendly words were addressed to him, and consequently 
as he seemed beyond all capacity or desire to run away or to run at all mrs balch allowed him complete liberty of action she found him asleep upon her back porch and placed him beside a saucer of cream the second since his luncheon then she watched him affectionately as he opened his eye turned toward the saucer his noble henry the eighth head with its great furred jowls and began the process of rising for more food which was all that ever seemed even feebly to rouse his mind when he had risen there was little space between him anywhere and the floor violet took his cream without enthusiasm pausing at times and turning his head away in fact he persisted only out of an incorrigible sensuality and finally withdrew a pace or two leaving creamy traces still upon the saucer with a multitude of fond words his kind mistress drew his attention to these whereupon making a visible effort he returned and disposed of them dat's de itty darling she said stooping to stroke him eat em all up nice clean dood for old sweet sin she continued to stroke him and violet half closed his eye but not with love or serenity for he simultaneously gestured with his tail meaning to say oh do take your hands off of me then he opened the eye and paid a little attention to sounds from the neighboring yard a high fence shrubberies and foliage concealed that yard from the view of violet but the sounds were eloquent to him since they were those made by members of his own general species when threatening atrocities the accent may have been foreign but violet caught perfectly the sense of what was being said and instinctively he muttered reciprocal curses within himself what a matter honey his companion inquired sympathetically it's bad people fightin poor violet from beyond the fence came the murmurings of a boy and girl in hushed but urgent conversation and with these sounds there mingled watery agitations splashings and the like as well as those low vocalizings that violet had recognized but suddenly there were muffled explosions like fireworks choked in feather beds and the human voices grew uncontrollably somewhat louder so that their import was distinguishable ow hush up can't you you want to bring the old town to ow hush up yourself oh goodness look out don't let her well look what she's doing to me can't you for heaven's sake catch hold and ow then came a husky voice inevitably that of a horrified colored person hastening from a distance oh my soul there was a scurrying and the girl was heard in furious yet hoarsely guarded vehemence bring the clothes prop we can poke that one down from the garage anyway oh my goodness look at her go mrs balch shook her head naughty children she said as she picked up the saucer and went to the kitchen door which she held open for violet to enter want to come with mamma but violet had lost even the faint interest in life he had shown a few moments earlier he settled himself to another stupor in the sun well well mrs balch said indulgently after a while she'll have some more nice keem sunset was beginning to be hinted two hours later when in another quarter of the town a little girl of seven or eight at play on the domestic side of an alley gate 
became aware of an older girl regarding her fixedly over the top of the gate. The little girl felt embarrassed and paused in her gaieties, enfolding in her arms her pet and playmate. "'Howdy do,' said the stranger in a serious tone. "'What'll you take for that cat?' The little girl made no reply, and the stranger, opening the gate, came into the yard. She looked weary, rather bedraggled, yet hurried. Her air was predominantly one of anxiety. "'I'll give you a quarter for that cat,' she said. "'I want an all-white cat, but this one's only got that one gray spot over its eye, and I don't believe there's an all-white cat left in town, leastways that anybody's willing to part with. I'll give you twenty-five cents for it. I haven't got it with me, but I'll promise to give it to you day after tomorrow.' The little girl still made no reply, but continued to stare, her eyes widening, and the caller spoke with desperation. "'See here,' she said, "'I got to have a whitish cat. That isn't worth more than a quarter, but I'll give you thirty-five cents for her. Money down, day after tomorrow.' At this the frightened child set the cat upon the ground and fled into the house. Florence Atwater was left alone. That is to say, she was the only human being in the yard— or in sight. Nevertheless, a human voice spoke, not far behind her. It came through a knot-hole in the fence, and it was a voice almost of passion. You grab it! Florence stood in silence, motionless. There was solemnity about her. The voice exhorted. My goodness, it said. She didn't say she wouldn't sell it, did she? You can bring her the money like you said you would, can't you? I got mine, didn't I? Almost without any trouble at all. "'My heavens, ain't Kitty Silver pretty near crazy? "'Just think of the position we've put her into. "'I tell you, you got to.' "'But now Florence moved. "'She moved slowly at first, "'and then with more decision and rapidity. "'That evening's dusk had deepened into blue night "'when the two cousins, each with a scant, uneasy dinner eaten, "'met by appointment in the alley "'behind their mutual grandfather's place of residence, "'and, having climbed the back fence approached the kitchen. Suddenly, Florence lifted her right hand and took between thumb and forefinger a lock of hair upon the back of Herbert's head. "'Well, for heaven's sakes!' he burst out, justifiably protesting. "'Hush!' Florence warned him. "'Kitty Silver's talking to somebody in there. It might be Aunt Julia. Come here!' She led him to a position beneath an open window of the kitchen. Here they sat upon the ground, with their backs against the stone foundation of the house, and listened to voices and the clink of dishes being washed. "'She's got another old colored darky woman in there with her,' said Florence. "'It's a woman belongs to her church and comes to see her most every evening. Listen, she's telling her about it. I bet we could get the real truth of it maybe better this way than if we went in and asked her right out. Anyway, it isn't eavesdropping if you listen when people are talking about you, yourself.' It's only wrong when it isn't any of your own biz— For heaven's sake, hush up, her cousin remonstrated. Listen. No, Miss Julia, ma'am, I say. Thus came the voice of Mrs. Silver. No, Miss Julia, ma'am. Them the same two cats you hand me. Miss Julia, ma'am, I say. Leastwise, I say. Them the two same cats what was in that closed-up brown basket when I opened it up and taken fixed to wash em. Somebody might a took and changed em fo they got to me, I say. Miss Julia, ma'am, 
but all the change happened to em since they been in charge of me and that's the gray what come off em whiles i was washin em and dryin em in cornmeal and flannel i dunno how much washin em change em miss julia ma'am i say cause how much they change or ain't change that's for you to say and me not to judge i say land o misery cried the visitor chuckling delightedly i wonder how you done kept your face miss kitty what miss julia say a loud irresponsible outburst of mirth on the part of mrs silver followed when she could again control herself she replied more definitely miss julia say she say she ain't never heard so such an outrageous story in her life she tuck on hallelujah and all time miss johnson i give you my word i stand in there holdin that basket can on up hill and down dale how them same two burgeon cats mr sammers is center and trouble enough there's ten into that basket let me say to you miss johnson as anybody can tell you whatever tried to take care of two cats what ain't used to each other in the same basket and every blessed minute i stand in there can i hear that old miss blatch next door on her back yard on her front yard and plumb out in the street hollering kitty 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 yes miss julia say she say fine story she say them two cats you claim my virgin cats they got short hair and they ain't the same age and they ain't even nowhere's near the same size she say one of em's as fat as both them burgeon cats she say and has only got one eye she say well miss julia ma'am i say one thing they come out white all except dest round that there skinniest one's eye i say dest the same you tell me they goin to i say you write about that much ma'am i say oh me mrs johnson moaned worn with a plus of laughter what she responds then i set that basket down said kitty silver and i stopped for the dough while she unfastened the lid for to take one more look at them i reckon but open window mighty close by and that skinny white cat made one jump and after a little while looking out this here window and see that old fat miss blatch's tom waddling across the yard towards home what's she doing now miss johnson inquired who miss julia she's settin out on the front porch talking to mr sammons my name how's she goin fix it with him after all this here dish camarado who miss julia leave her alone honey she takin and begin talk so fast and talk so sweet no young man ain't goin to rick he ever give her no cats not till he's gone a halfway home but i ain't told you the end of it miss johnson and the end of it's the best part what happened what's that miss kitty look said mrs silver mr atwater gone in yonder after i come out and asked what all them's goin on about well sir and didn't he come walkin out in my kitchen and slip me two bright spang new silver dollars right in my hand my name yes sir said mrs silver triumphantly and in the darkness outside the window florence drew a deep breath i'd have felt just awful about this she said if noble dill had given aunt julia those persian cats why herbert inquired puzzled by her way of looking at things i don't see why it would make any worse who gave em to her well it would florence said but anyway 
I think we did rather wrong. Did you notice what Kitty Silver said about what Grandpa did? Well, I think we ought to tell him our share of it, Florence returned thoughtfully. I don't want to go to bed tonight with all this on my mind, and I'm going to find Grandpa right now and confess every bit of it to him. Herbert, hopefully, decided to go with her. End of chapter 2